Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Do No Harm ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the app today. Harris County's 315th District Court was packed. It was October 4th, 2018, day two of the court hearing to determine whether CPS was justified when it took Melissa and Dylan Bright's children. After everyone settled into their seats, LeVar Jones stood up and walked toward the stand. LeVar adjusted his suit jacket as he sat down. Then he raised his right hand and swore to tell the truth. Dan Fee Wynn, the attorney representing CPS, was nervous. At this point, I was playing defense. I'm the prosecutor, and then I'm the one playing defense. Dan asked LeVar to detail the findings of his investigation into Mason Bright's head injuries, and why those injuries left CPS with no choice but to take the kids. At one point, Dan asked if he could have communicated better during the investigation. LeVar said, yes, if he'd made any mistakes along the way. Yes, some mistakes. For example, LeVar said, he shouldn't have waited three weeks to get back in touch with the Brights before taking their kids. Finally, Dan asked, is there anything else that you wanted to say either directly to the parents or to the court? No. Pass the witness, Judge. Then it was the Brights' lawyer's turn. Dennis Slate stood up and started grilling the investigator. He wanted to know if LeVar had been honest back when he told a judge the Bright kids were in imminent danger. Dennis asked, were there any inconsistencies in his testimony that day? But before LeVar could answer, Dan jumped out of his seat. Your Honor, my client's going to assert the fifth. Dennis glanced at his co-counsel, Stephanie Prophet. I, I was shocked, actually. It was the first time I've ever had that happen in a CPS case. And actually, it's the only time I've had it happen in a CPS case to date. Dennis and Stephanie protested. Lawyers can't plead the fifth on behalf of their clients. Dennis demanded LeVar answer the question, had he been truthful in his earlier testimony? LeVar replied, plead the fifth. Dennis and I looked at each other with just like amazement on our face. And when he pled the fifth, we actually kind of laughed. You could understand why someone accused of a crime might invoke their constitutional right to avoid self-incrimination. But in this case, LeVar was the one doing the accusing. In a civil matter, if you plead the fifth, the court can presume that you are admitting to lying. I remember Mr. Bright looking at me kind of confused, like, what the heck was that all about? And I had to kind of explain to him that he's basically admitting that he lied in his removal affidavit. It didn't end there. Dennis asked whether it was right for CPS to take children without hard evidence of abuse. LeVar said, plead the fifth. Later, when LeVar said he was intimidated by Dylan's aggressive questioning on the night of the removal, Dennis asked, but I don't intimidate you? LeVar said, plead the fifth. Dennis cracked a smile. That, literally the entire room was in laughter at that point in time. No one could believe it. Behind the bench, the judge presiding over the case, Mike Schneider, tried to conceal his own reaction. In handling these cases for, gosh, 22 years or so, I've never seen a caseworker take the fifth. And he did it over and over and over. The fact that the fifth was being pleaded like this suggested to me that nobody at the agency actually thought 
these kids were in danger at home with their parents. Schneider thought about the photos introduced into evidence earlier that day, showing two-year-old Charlotte crying with a gash under her eye, the aftermath of her two days in foster care. There was no doubt in his mind that the girl had been traumatized. And for what? By the time we got to court, the kids had been injured, but not by their parents, by the state. If I asked you how many subscriptions you have, would you be able to list all of them and how much you're paying? If you would have asked me this question before I started using Rocket Money, I would have said yes, but let me tell you, I would have been so wrong. I can't believe how many I had and all the money I was wasting. Rocket Money is a personal finance app that finds and cancels your unwanted subscriptions, monitors your spending, and helps lower your bills. Rocket Money has over 5 million users and has helped save its members an average of $720 a year with over 500 million in canceled subscriptions. Stop wasting money on things you don't use. Cancel your unwanted subscriptions by going to rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. That's rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Rocketmoney.com slash Wondery. Okay, it's time to commit. 2024 is the year for prioritizing yourself. Begin your new smile journey with Byte, and you could start seeing results in just two to three weeks. Just order your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95 at Byte.com. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces. Plus, they offer financing options, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA, FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot com. Start your confidence journey today with Byte. My two hands alone can hold you back from harm. From NBC News and Wondery, I'm Mike Hicksonball, and this is Do No Harm. This is episode six, The Cost. Mike Schneider had spent a decade on the bench by the time the Bright case landed in his court. He was a Republican judge in the most conservative big state in America. He was also active in Houston's punk rock scene, having mixed albums and designed cover art for local bands. And he's a dog lover. That's why he'd been up early before heading into court for the Bright case. That morning, Elsa and I went to the dog park because I would generally have to wear her out so that she would behave in court. She's a little pit bull with a lot of energy. Elsa, the rescue pit bull, was often curled up at Schneider's feet during hearings. One of the quirks of having a CPS case heard in his courtroom. Elsa was sleeping soundly as LeVar Jones stepped off the witness stand. Danfee Wynn stood up. Your Honor, I believe the state's going to rest at this point. Now it was the Bright's turn to present their defense, to call their witnesses. But Dennis and Stephanie didn't see any reason to do any of that. Instead, they asked Schneider to issue his ruling right then, based only on the testimony of the witnesses called by the state. 
we knew at that point that we didn't need to put on any additional evidence and that we could ask the court for a directed verdict to just find that there was no emergency and that the children should not have been placed in the possession of the agency. Behind the bench, Schneider thought back to the first day in court when Dennis played audio from the night LeVar took the children. He thought of the sound of Charlotte's little voice. One of the things I'll I'll never forget was the recording of her daughter trying to comfort her. That really, that, that hit hard. A hush fell over the room as Schneider began to talk. Dylan reached over and grabbed Melissa's hand at the defense table, squeezing so hard, he left an imprint of his wedding band. We had had so many lost battles up to that point. Even though we we had the confidence we were going to win, man, there's always that, just that pit in your stomach where this could be kind of the, you know, the other shoe dropping type final blow thing. Schneider was saying something about the facts of the case, making it impossible to believe CPS was truly worried about Charlotte and Mason's safety. Here's Judge Schneider rereading his ruling for us. The court finds, pursuant to 262-201-B1, that not only did the state not prove that there was a danger to the physical health or safety of the child. Once he began reading his ruling, it was apparent that he was going to rule in our favor. They made it clear that they did not believe that there was such a danger to the children. It is not possible to look at the facts and imagine that the agency actually felt that there was any sort of urgent need for protection to ruin three children. The court finds that the agency's efforts were unreasonable. And although dismissal is requested, I don't think the court has the ability to dismiss it. What it can do, and will do, is to remove the agency as any sort of managing conservator and order the return of the children to the parents. And at that point, it was just uh, a cascade of emotion from <laughs> from from everybody that was that was with us. We kind of turned back and looked at our friends and family that were in the audience, and they were all like thumbs up and smiling and happy for us. Melissa got up and hugged Dylan, tears streaming down her cheeks. And it was just almost one of those things where you let out the breath that you've been holding in, or at least you don't realize you were holding in the whole time the judge is reading. And then it kind of hits you the fact that you needed to actually take a breath or you pass out. But once once it set in after he ruled, then it was, it was just an unbelievable relief as far as the burden. Afterward, Dylan and Melissa stepped into a meeting room outside the courtroom where a local TV crew was waiting to ask them questions about their ordeal. Then they headed for their car. It was getting dark when they pulled up at Aunt Dolores' house that evening. The kids were still up, waiting for them. You know, we came in and, Mommy, Daddy, Mommy, Daddy, Charlotte could talk. And so she ran up and she's hair all a mess. She's in her diaper with a long sleeve shirt on. And Dylan embraced her, we picked her up. Dylan went out and got the car seats, the same seats he'd strapped into the back of LeVar's car weeks earlier. Now he buckled them into his own back seat, back where they belonged. You've dreamed of the moment when you finally arrive and you finally get to take your kids back, and and you've probably played the scenario out in your head a hundred times, and it's like, this is really happening. We're really doing this. We're, We're really picking up the kids for the last time, you know, from the last household that had to watch them and take them back to our home and put them back where they're safe and be a family again. That night, Melissa and Dylan could not stop smiling as they got Charlotte and Mason ready for bed, resuming their old nighttime routine. 
as if they never stopped. Reading to Charlotte, rocking Mason, tucking them into their own beds, giving each a kiss. As Melissa and Dylan lay in bed that night, joy and relief weren't the only emotions swirling through their minds. Sure, they had won in the end, but at what cost? Across town that same night, Lance Butler was getting ready for bed when he noticed an email from his lawyer. Stephanie sent me that, I believe, at the, as a matter of fact. It was a link to the TV news story about the Brights. Lance opened the article and hit play. Jonathan, in a show cause hearing that ended today, a CPS caseworker took the fifth when he was asked about why he had two little kids taken by emergency removal. The parents say they tried to do everything CPS wanted them to do, but the caseworker kept dragging his feet. The facts of the case were so familiar. In fact, there was Lance's lawyer on TV. So he's down in court swearing that these children are in imminent danger, and he hasn't seen them actually in 35 days. Only the outcome could not have been more different. Reporting live from downtown, Randy Wallace, Fox 26 News. Lance set his phone down and tried to digest what he'd seen. They'd spent their life savings on lawyers. Lance was facing criminal charges and the prospect of 20 years in prison after his baby suffered nearly identical injuries as Mason Bright. He and Charday had been separated from their children for a year. But now, after just two weeks apart from their kids, something very different was happening for the family on the news. They didn't lose their children as long as we did. I don't recall the father wasn't even charged, so my thought was, could Stephanie use this so we can get our kids back? You know. Even as she celebrated Dylan and Melissa's court ruling that night, Stephanie was asking herself the same question. Was it possible to take the Bright's victory and use it to help others? If you struggle to get in shape and lose weight, I'm about to change your life. I'm Carl, the CEO of Body, and I don't like working out and eating healthy either. So here's how I get myself to do it. I make myself own the morning. And by the morning, I mean the first hour or so of every day. It's not family time. It's not for scrolling social media. It's for my results and for my health. And man, does it work. Every day, I get out of bed, drink a health shake, and then I go crush a workout on the Body app and just follow along day by day. Before most people are even out of bed, I'm done for the day. So here's my special introductory offer to you. If you go to body.com to sign up, the next 5,000 new subscribers will get 72 percent off a full year of access to over 120 programs. Yeah, that's only 33 cents a day to start now and see how fast the pounds come off. And if they don't, you can get your money back, no questions asked. Just go to body.com to save 72% and get life-changing results. That's B-O-D-I.com. So, you keep trying to get in shape and it keeps not working. I'm Lacey Green, a super trainer with body. That's BODI.com. And I've got a story you have to hear. I have a client who came to me because she was really frustrated that every gym or trainer she tried made her feel bad because she was a beginner. She had tried it all and she just felt humiliated. And that's when we started working together and I took her through my three week program called For Beginners Only. Once she realized that she wasn't the problem and that she just needed the right program, she started to get 
immediate results. And now she's completely unstoppable and feeling so strong and confident. And I can do the same for you. On the Body app, subscribers lose 5 to 10 pounds consistently in their first month. And I bet you will too. In fact, CNN underscore just named Body best fitness app. And right now, Body has a special introductory offer. The next 500 new users who sign up for a year of Body save 72%. That's just 33 cents a day. All you have to do is go to Body.com. That's B-O-D-I dot com. One month after the Bright Kids came home, Dylan and Melissa were back in court. This time, they were the ones who filed the lawsuit. They were asking Judge Schneider to punish CPS for what the agency put them through. This was no slam dunk. As in most states, Texas law exempts CPS from liability in most cases. As long as the agency acts in good faith, parents can't sue for damages. Over the course of five days in November 2018, Dennis and Stephanie grilled CPS officials about their decisions in the Bright case. And this time, Naisha Edwards, LeVar's supervisor, was among those called to the witness stand. At one point, Dennis asked her about the agency's refusal to let Melissa breastfeed Mason overnight. Back when he was recovering from surgery and the Brights were still complying with the CPS safety plan, Naisha responded, The family did not ask for Mrs. Bright to stay overnight during the family team meeting. Dennis scoffed, then reminded her, Dylan recorded that meeting. You're saying that there was never a request made to you for Mrs. Bright to be able to stay and breastfeed her child overnight? I don't recall. Just a second ago, you said it wasn't. Now you're saying you don't remember? I don't recall. What? I don't recall. Why did you just tell us a minute ago it didn't happen? I don't recall. You don't recall why you didn't tell us? I don't recall. It went on like this for hours. Naisha would misstate a fact from the case. Dennis would show her a document or play her a recording to jog her memory. Then Naisha would say, I don't recall. Or, I can't answer that question. Over the course of two days of testimony, Naisha repeated those two phrases 103 times. After five days in court, Judge Schneider had made up his mind. On the afternoon of November 8, 2018, he announced his ruling from the bench. This court has witnessed personally the Texas Department of Family and Protective Services protecting children, saving their lives. I've seen it. I've also seen this agency destroy families. Dylan held Melissa's hand, more gently this time. The court finds in this case it was indeed dishonest to not notify the parents of the hearing. LeVar and several CPS officials sat in the audience. The court can infer from that behavior not only that that behavior was dishonest, but you could argue it rises to the level of being both discriminatory and malicious. This court further finds that but for the fact that the parents were not here to tell their side of the story, this case would not have made it past the emergency hearing. The children would never have been removed. The case would have been over, but it wasn't over. So the court finds it would be appropriate to award the parents for their fees, $127,557.38. As to other sanctions, frankly, if the court felt that they would be upheld and it wouldn't be unfair to taxpayers, the agency would be sanctioned a whole lot more money. Schneider had just issued the largest penalty against CPS in Texas history. Dylan and Melissa shook Dennis's hand and gave Stephanie a hug. The Brights hadn't just saved their family. 
They'd made CPS pay for what it put them through. I mean, we would have had to take out a 30-year mortgage to pay that back. So it would have just financially devastated us. It just kills me to my core knowing that there are parents out there, good parents, that just because they don't have $127,000 sitting in the bank can't fight for their kids or have to live in debt for eternity. And it makes me mad. It makes me mad that CPS has the availability to do that to a family. I reached out to both Naisha and LeVar to ask them about the decisions they made in the Bright case and about their testimony. Naisha didn't return messages I left for her, but after a few tries, I was able to reach LeVar. Hello? Hi, is this LeVar? This is he. Hey there, sir. Uh, my name is Mike Hicksonbaugh. I'm a reporter with NBC News. I told LeVar I wanted to talk to him and Naisha about their work on the Bright case. Do you have a few minutes to, t- to talk now? Respect, sir. I, you know, and and because I'm still employed with the agency, I don't even know if I'm allowed to. Yeah. So, you know. Lavar thanked me for reaching out, but said he couldn't comment. After we hung up, I asked a spokesman for CPS if I could interview Lavar, Naisha, or other officials, but he declined, saying the agency was prohibited by state law from commenting on specific cases. When Judge Schneider ruled on the Bright case. He concluded that the problem was much bigger than just the specific case and a couple of caseworkers. It was systemic. That's why he also ordered CPS to retrain all of its workers in the Houston region on how to properly investigate reports of suspected child abuse. But he's not sure it was enough to solve the problem. It's hard for me to tell. Um, Did it really change anything? I, I don't know. One thing was certain. Media attention of Judge Schneider's ruling was deeply embarrassing for CPS. So embarrassing, it led officials to begin rethinking the way it handled some cases. Starting first, perhaps, with another family in the Houston suburbs. Three months later, in February 2019, Lance and Sade Butler returned to the Harris County Juvenile Justice Center. This time, they arrived together, no longer pretending to be separated. It had been more than 19 months since Lance dropped Langston on the 4th of July, and more than a year since police backed Charday into a corner at the hospital when CPS took custody. A lot had gone wrong since then, but this day felt different. I was a little bit more lax on this court visit. I had on, like, jeans, like, you know, nice jeans, but I had on jeans and a blouse. In the weeks before the court hearing, Stephanie Prophet had been busy. Just as she promised she'd quickly turned the Bright case into leverage to help the Butlers. I made every chance I could to make a comparison between the Butlers to the Brights. I did it. I probably used the name Bright about as often as I said Butler when I was dealing with CPS. They knew the similarities. You know, these caseworkers on the Butler matter, they weren't stupid. They knew that the facts were very similar and the agency was a buzz. And so when I was dealing with the caseworker on the Butler case, I would point out, isn't it funny how this is exactly what happened in the Bright case? And I think she was smart enough to go back to her supervisors and say, look, This is so, so similar, and look what happened just up the stairs, up the elevator. Look what happened in this court. Do we really want another one of these right on the heels of the Bright case? In her meeting with CPS, 
Stephanie highlighted each of the misstatements in Langston's medical records. The broken leg that wasn't really broken. The shattered back that looked normal on a follow-up x-ray. The baseless doctor statement saying the baby's injuries were like he'd been dropped out a second-story window. And once I was able to show them that, I think that the county attorney, I don't think she wanted to be embarrassed by what was obvious facts. And so, after 19 months of hell, Lance and Chardet rode the elevator to the fifth floor and walked into the 313th District Court, the same courtroom where Judge Glenn Devlin had raised his voice months earlier and refused to give Chardet her kids back. But now, a different judge was sitting behind the bench. That's the year that we got all these Democratic judges that came into play. And for the butlers, it meant a fresh start. Fortunately, you know, I went out, I voted, my family voted, and Devlin was out. So we got a new judge into play. Her name was Natalia Oakes, a former teacher turned juvenile defender. And when we got this new judge, it just kind of gave like a completely different feel to this courtroom. This time, when CPS announced in court that the agency was now ready to return Langston and Malia to their parents, the judge didn't yell at anybody. She listened quietly and asked thoughtful questions. Lance and Chardet's big day in court was subdued compared to the Brights. Almost a formality. But after Judge Oaks gave her ruling that day, accepting CPS's decision and officially returning Langston and Malia to them, Chardet burst into tears. Lance got up and thanked Stephanie. It's almost like a moment that I passed out and woke back up. You know, it's just, it just kind of drew a blank, man. Yeah, it was, it was a good day. There were no TV crews waiting to interview them as they walked out. But Stephanie was proud. We didn't have all of that, but we absolutely had the satisfaction of knowing that the people who had been accusing you for months and months and months were finally acknowledging that they were wrong. Chardet turned to Lance and reminded him their fight wasn't done yet. So I felt like we had one thing down, but we had one more to go. And so I remember telling him that, like, we got this over with now, let's just focus on this criminal matter. We gathered up the family and walk out the double doors of the courtroom and, you know, the door swing shut. And I remember, you know, saying goodbye and go get your babies. Chardet was giddy as they got in the car. Finally, they were free to bring their children home. I was so excited. I was so happy because I get to go to the daycare, pick up my kids, bring them home, give them dinner, give them baths, put them in bed, and the next morning, I get to wake them up, I get to dress them, feed them, take them to daycare, and then later on that day, I can go pick them up, bring them back home, like they were my kids again. I just, I felt like, I felt like mommy. When she told me to go get my kids and nobody had to intervene in that, I felt like mommy. That first night back, Chardet, Lance, Langston, and Malia all slept together in the same bedroom. The kids had both outgrown their old crib since the last time they were home. I remember I was so excited. I went and bought Langston a bed, and I bought them their own Minnie and Mickey Mouse comforters and stuff that I didn't think I was going to get to do because I didn't think that I was going to get the opportunity to. I didn't think that I was going to be able to go shopping ever again for these kids. It was a lot of things that I didn't think I was ever going to get to do. So 
to wake up and them get in the bed with us. And we would just lay there with them. You know, we didn't have to worry about a court date coming up. We didn't have to worry about having to get them back somewhere else at a certain time. They didn't miss a beat. And we didn't either. Then, one month later, Lance got the call he'd been waiting for from his criminal defense lawyer. If CPS couldn't even prove Lance most likely abused Langston, a lower standard than in criminal cases, there was no way a prosecutor was going to convince a jury of his guilt beyond a reasonable doubt. The charges had been dropped. He called me, and I told him that, you know, I, I think I was still kind of in belief. I said, email me. Email me the decision, man. I need it on paper. I need to see it. Before Lance's charges were officially dropped, Stephanie remembers meeting with him one last time. And he came into my office. We're in my this big office. He's standing at one end, I'm standing at the other, and we're talking about what had happened with the Brights. She wanted Lance to know what had been gnawing at her for months as she worked simultaneously on the two cases. I told him, I said, you know what makes me sick? I said, the facts are almost identical. The only difference is the color of your skin. And I remember Lance kind of looking at me, almost surprised that I said it. He looked at me and he said, you know, it's okay for you to say that because you're white, but if I said that out loud, people wouldn't believe it. And I was like, well, I mean, I watched it. I watched two different families. One was white, one was black. And I mean, the facts couldn't have been any closer. Stephanie was saying out loud what Lance and Charday had been thinking for months. From the moment the butler showed up at a hospital with an injured baby, the deck was stacked against them. Studies show black babies brought to hospitals with head injuries like Langston's are twice as likely as white children to be evaluated for abuse by doctors. Feeding them into a child welfare system that disproportionately polices black parents. Charday thinks about specific moments from their case and wonders, was that because we're black? When CPS made them take drug tests, even though neither of them had a history of using. When police backed her into a corner and removed her from her son's hospital room, not even giving her a moment to say goodbye. When doctors reported her son's injuries to CPS, not once, but three times, when a judge yelled at her lawyer for even suggesting that her kids might be safe with her. So, yes, I, I kind of look at that as a metaphor with George Floyd as far as they had their knees on his neck and he couldn't breathe. That's how I felt during my case. Literally, I couldn't breathe. I would have panic attacks when I would go to court because there was nothing I could say. And they were steady just putting their knees on my neck. They wasn't letting me even have a word in. There was nothing I can say and nothing I can do to make them let up. And if Lance was convicted and thrown in jail, they would have definitely got what they want. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crow portrays an ex-homicide detective, unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. 
It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com/wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com/wondery. I started reporting this story three weeks after the birth of my fourth kid. Early one morning, after one of those long nights where the baby had been up practically every hour, I remember lifting him out of his bassinet and carrying him out to the living room. The sun hadn't begun to rise, but I was up. I figured I might as well get the day started. I slipped one of those sling-style newborn carriers over my shoulder, the kind with a pocket to hold the baby snug against your chest. I wanted my hands free while I started the coffee. But when I went to place Felix in the sling, I missed the pocket. He slipped straight through my arms and into a headfirst free fall toward the floor. I felt like my heart might explode in my chest. Thank God I happened to be standing over the couch. He'd landed on a cushion. Now he was on his back, staring up at me, with an eyes-wide expression that seemed to say, What the hell was that? Then he started crying. Nightmare scenarios flashed through my mind as I picked him up. What if he'd hit his head on the floor instead? We have the exact same ceramic tile as the butler's, hard as concrete. Would the doctors and CPS have believed my story? Or would they have given me, a college-educated white guy, the benefit of the doubt? That moment... And those questions have lingered in my mind for two years. In that time, I've spoken to more than 50 families from across the country who say CPS took their children after a mistake like the one I made that morning, an accident. Only theirs were followed by a rush to a hospital, the beginning of their transformation from worried parents to suspects. And at the center of each of these stories is the same question, the one we asked at the beginning, Is this what it takes to keep kids safe? I put that to Rhonda Carson, the former CPS supervisor who took a job at the agency after fighting it for years. One of the things that I think about a lot with this is with with the Bright case and others that I've seen like it, where, you know, there's a lot of very justifiable concern about leaving kids with parents who may be abusive. And I think I see in this case and in others that I've looked at kind of this better safe than sorry. And I I wonder if there's not this kind of unspoken philosophy in child welfare and CPS workers and agency officials that in order to protect kids, we're just going to have to take some of them from innocent parents, that that's just going to be part of it. Absolutely. Absolutely. Rhonda left CPS in 2019 to pursue a nursing degree. And I hate to say this, but I feel like, and I've always felt like, those decisions to remove a child a lot of times are not done in the best interest of the child. I'd just rather remove the child so nothing comes back on me. And that is wrong. (laughs) That is so wrong. And that is traumatizing to the child, that's traumatizing to the family, when a good, thorough investigation should guide your decisions. Nobody will ever admit to that, no. Better safe than sorry. It seems like a reasonable approach, especially when it comes to protecting children. We've heard the horror stories, the stories of real abuse that make your stomach turn, 
Of course, we should do everything we can to save vulnerable children. But how many innocent families must be traumatized in the process? How many have already been traumatized? I wanted to pose that question to CPS officials, but they declined to speak, noting that in the wake of my reporting, Texas lawmakers are now considering reforms to protect parents like the Brights and the Butlers. We can't get ahead of the legislature, an agency spokesman wrote, as I'm sure you can understand. In the months after her case became public, and especially after she and Dylan told their story on NBC Nightly News, hardly a week went by when Melissa didn't get a message from a desperate parent living her worst nightmare. Parents who'd lost their children to CPS, some temporarily, some permanently, after a doctor's report. Parents who swore they were innocent. The messages flooded into her Facebook account from California, Georgia, Pennsylvania, Texas. I just got to the point where there were so many messages that I I just couldn't read them all. I couldn't bear the weight of all of those families enduring this hardship. But it's just astounding to me that there are so many people who have a story that may be similar to mine or at least wrapped up in the CPS world. And most of them are just wanting to be heard and most of them are just wanting to to know what the next step is. You know, they're in it too and they're looking for that next step just like we did all of those months. Melissa has gotten to know several mothers in the Houston area who face similar battles with CPS. They meet for coffee and talk about what they endured the fears they still carry. Members of an unfortunate sisterhood. Just many different women from many different backgrounds all coming together to chat about the horrible things that have happened to us. Two years later, she still hadn't met the mother whose struggle was most closely linked with her own. Charday and Lance have mostly carried the weight alone. I still worry about that. I still get scared about that. If my kids, you know, are playing too rough, I'm scared because I'm afraid if something happens, how am I going to go to the hospital and tell them, hey, you know, my child hurt themselves. So I still worry. I still live in fear. But when somebody bangs on my front door really loud, it scares me because I, I think of that night when they came to tell me that my child's back was broken. If the pizza man comes and he bangs too hard, I'm afraid that's, CPS coming to get my kids, or that's the police coming to get my kids. Sometimes I feel like maybe somebody's watching me and they're judging me. So I still live in fear. I try not to show my kids that. I try not to show my family that. But I still do live in fear. Charday's struggle has been far more private. Her case didn't make national news. And the only mom to ever message her about their shared struggle was Melissa. I said, Charday said, you don't know me, but I'm Melissa Bright. While reporting this story, I told Melissa some details about Charday's case. I hope it isn't too forward to just reach out and want to know you. Then she went and found her on Facebook. I just recently learned of your case and how similar it was to our case. Let me just say, I'm so sorry for what you had to endure. No mother should ever have to. I just wanted to reach out to you and to let you know that I know your pain and to remind you that you are wonderful, you are fierce, and that your kids are blessed to call you mom. With love, Melissa. Charday said she was touched to hear from her. She'd been having a bad week, and Melissa's words lifted her spirits. She texted back to ask Melissa if she'd be up for meeting in person once life slowed down a little. Maybe someday. 
The Brights haven't given up on their fight to reform CPS. They even testified at the state capitol last year. But they have tried to move on. Dylan doesn't want to be afraid. He still wants his kids to be free to run and fall and get hurt. Melissa is still more cautious, more attentive, more of a worrier. There'd be days Dylan would have to come home from the office because I just, I couldn't function. It was just, I guess, a, a subconscious feeling of fear. And it could have been anything, you know, Mason turning a corner and slipping or, you know, being 18 months old and learning how to walk and just being wobbly and fell into something. And out of nowhere, just this full-on raging anxiety attack would come across. As the days have gone on, they've been farther and fewer between and for the most part is pretty good. But every once in a while, there'll just be a day out of nowhere that the fear will just creep in and become overwhelming. She carries the trauma with her always, even in the happy moments. In September, two years to the month after CPS showed up to take her children, it was time for Melissa to say goodbye again. Are you excited about your first day? Charlotte is four now, and this was her first day of preschool. Melissa recorded a video of her in the back seat before dropping her off. I'm so proud of you, baby. You're so beautiful. What do you want to be when you grow up? The four-year-old pauses. Like everyone in 2020, her mouth is covered behind a blue medical mask. But you can tell from her eyes, she's smiling when she says, Um, a doctor. Oh, good idea. I mean... I'm mommy, so I can help you. Oh, that sounds like a good plan, baby. Melissa's heart ached that morning, watching her first child walk into school, lugging a blue backpack nearly as big as her. But it was a good heartache, a normal heartache. Every other parent was feeling the same lump in their throats that morning. And Melissa knew when this day was over, She would tuck her kids into their own beds and whisper her nightly prayer, thanking God her babies were home with the people who would do anything to keep them safe. From NBC News and Wondery, this is the final episode of Do No Harm, a story about innocent children and the adults who are supposed to keep them safe. Do No Harm was written, reported, and hosted by me, Mike Hixenbaugh, a national investigative reporter for NBC News. 
Special thanks to my reporting partner, Carrie Blakinger, whose reporting made this podcast possible. Special thanks to Elizabeth Conley and Susan Carroll of the Houston Chronicle. If you want to help us spread the word, please give us a five-star rating and review on Apple Podcasts. And be sure to tell your friends. Subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Wondery app, or wherever you're listening right now. In the episode notes, you'll find some links and offers from our sponsors. Please support them. Another way you can support the show is by filling out a small survey at wondery.com slash survey. Associate producers are Chris Siegel and Allison Bailey. Story editor is Julie Shapiro. Additional production assistance from Daniel Gonzalez. Music supervisor, Scott Velazquez. Managing producer, Lata Pandya. Sound design by Jeff Schmidt. Executive produced for NBC News by Steve Lichtai. Executive produced by George Lavender, Marshall Louie, and Hernan Lopez for Wondery. Hey, Prime members, you can listen to Do No Harm ad-free on Amazon Music. Download the Amazon Music app today. Or you can listen ad-free with Wondery Plus and Apple Podcasts. Before you go, tell us about yourself by completing a short survey at wondery.com survey. For more than two centuries, the White House has been the stage for some of the most dramatic scenes in American history. Inspired by the hit podcast, American History Tellers, Wondery and William Morrow present the new book, The Hidden History of the White House. Each chapter will bring you inside the fierce power struggles, the world-altering decisions, and shocking scandals that have shaped our nation. You'll be there when the very foundations of the White House are laid in 1792, and you'll watch as the British burn it down in 1814. Then you'll hear the intimate conversations between FDR and Winston Churchill as they make plans to defeat Nazi forces in 1941. And you'll be in the Situation Room when President Barack Obama approves the raid to bring down the most infamous terrorist in American history. Pre-order The Hidden History of the White House now in hardcover or digital editions wherever you get your books. In the climate-ravaged year of 2072, the city of Pura stands as a miraculous green haven, a geoengineered paradise that protects fortunate residents from the global catastrophes of heat domes, fires, floods, and droughts. Demetria Lopez heads up Pura's public relations, tirelessly promoting the city's idyllic image. But when she stumbles upon a dark secret that, if exposed, would be the downfall of Pura's existence, she must decide who and what she is willing to protect. From Wondery, the makers of Academy and Dr. Death, The Last City stars actors Rhea Seahorn, Jeannie Tirado, and Maury Sterling. Follow The Last City on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. You can binge all episodes of The Last City early and ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus.